ago. It's called the mall. I'm telling you. It's like they, they need to put just way more couches in there so dudes can just sit, you know, because that place is it's like, hey, I got this great idea. Let's build this build, big building. And No, anyway, I'm just going to stop there. But you're, you're at this place we call the mall. And, and at some point you realize I have no clue what I'm doing here and why I'm even here. And I'm trying to find where my wife is at. And they have these little things there that you have to go and find, and, and you look, and it tells you all the names of the stores, and, and uh, it's kind of like a directory for them all. And have you ever gone and looked at one of these things? Uh, you start to look at them, and, and, and you realize you're there, and so you don't know, well, I don't know which way is north or south or east or west, so I don't know how I'm supposed to be looking at this thing. And the only thing you're looking for is that little red dot that tells you what? You are here. You are here. Man, I, I, I am here, and where is she? I have no clue, but all I know is I am here. How do I get there? You know, and, and then and then you start to plot your route. Okay, okay, if I go this way and and this doors, and you, you finally figure it out. And uh, what I want to do this morning is um, kind of we're going to throw out a little bit of a roadmap, and we're going to get real honest with ourselves, and we're going to take the moment to say, "Hey, God, with me and you." This is where I am. You are here. This moment, God, with you. I, this is kind of the dream and the vision and the hope that you've given me. These are things that I, I'm longing for and trying to move towards. But uh, sometimes moving towards those things takes, with, takes taking a good look at where we are now. Because if we don't know where we are now, we don't know how to get started and where to go and what to do. And so God... Uh, long, long time ago, speaking to Abraham, and he gives him this promise, man, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey and all these things. And he has this promise, and, and Abraham uh, goes out, and, and all of a sudden things aren't really happening the way that he thought it would happen. And he has this conversation with God, well, God, in order for this kind of nation to happen, you've kind of got to give me kids, uh, otherwise, it's just going to be my heirs' kids. And, and, and how can we get the ball rolling on this thing? And, and land, you, you, you sent me out to some place, this land that I will show you. Well, show me this place. And, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. And, and the story continues. Then God begins to unfold. And Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob. And then there's the, the 12 sons of Israel. And they grow into this great nation. And then all of a sudden, in Exodus, and don't turn here, but because we're going to be back... Chapter six, and then in chapter one it says this. Now, uh, one in verse eight. Now there arose a new king, a new pharaoh over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. Now Joseph is an important guy because all the, the promises have be, begun to start. Uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, man, we're starting to see the development of a nation here. Uh, but then there's famine in the land, uh, and Joseph rises up to be second in power. Uh, and, and we find all the children of Israel gathered in Egypt, and, and everyone would know the name of Joseph because Joseph would be the hero of the day. Joseph would be the Michael Jordan, the Abraham Lincoln. The This is... if. if 
the Coca-Cola kind of thing. You know, who doesn't know Coca-Cola? I mean, everyone would know Joseph. This was the one that has, has helped an entire nation, helped a people group. But then all of a sudden, at the beginning of this book, we're told this, that there arose a king who knew not Joseph. Which begs the question, how would this even be possible? I mean, this is the most, most popular guy of the day. How could you not know Joseph? Um, maybe a, a year ago, I was, I was probably more than a year ago, I, I was helping my buddy Keith out, and he was doing a yard sale. It was a few years, I think. He was doing this yard sale, and, and at some point in the yard sale, we're moving some of the boxes, and I noticed he had this box full of VHSs. Y'all remember those? Every, all the teenagers in here are like, what's a VHS? <laughs> well, let me like bring it back even more. Like eight tracks and, and that kind of stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, like, imagine never, you know, that, that teenager that, what is this tape thingy? It's called a VHS. It, it's that same kind of feeling. It's that who knew not VHS? Who knew not eight track? There was a king who knew not Joseph. Like, oh man, this was such ingrained and a part of society, and then all of a sudden, there's just no clue. It's just out of the picture. And, and the thing is, we as people, there, there's a tendency for things to fade. There's a tendency for things to fade in the background, and not just things, but even within our own lives, within our own discipline. We can get really disciplined, man, I'm going to work out. And then two weeks later, <laughs> working out? What's all that? I'm going to eat healthy. Or I'm going to do these things. I'm going to make New Year's resolutions. Or, or we get things, in the, and then 30 days into it, it fades away. Or we have all these things and all these intentions and all these dreams, and then time goes by, and they just begin to fade away. Right now, our country, we live in a country that was founded on Christian principles. And whether we like to admit it or not, we are fading away. We're removing the Ten Commandments. We're removing prayer, uh, to, to even talk about Jesus within our government and something. It's like taboo. We're like, are you kidding me? This, this, would be the, this would be the words on the lips of the founding, how America got started. Jesus and the Bible. And, and as a matter of fact, whenever they were writing the Constitution, the Bible, it, it said that as they were writing it, they had the Bible opened side by side. Just to say, God, we want to make sure that we're honoring you with this thing. And it's hard for us to imagine, but we live, man, there's a church on every corner. We got Jesus on the radio. We got books. We got all of these things. And yet, what if there's a day that we fade to the point, and then there arose a nation who knew not Joseph? Because we have this tendency. We have this tendency to fade away. And here's the thing. Every time this happens, Every time a nation, a people group, an individual, a family begins to fade away from the things of Christ, the natural outcome is slavery. We enslave ourselves, just like the children of Israel. As they, all throughout the scriptures, there's a repenting, a turning back to God, a fading away, and all these things, and we find ourselves enslaved. Uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, because whether we want to admit it or not, Inside us, at the very core, there's, there's this uh, part of us that wants to be selfish. We want to be selfish. And that's why Jesus comes in the picture and says, hey, I'm going to give you a whole new nature. Because your, your old nature wants to just look after you. Your old nature just wants to be all about you and how everything can help you. 
And when everything becomes all about you, it means, well, enslaving other people. It means someone else has to do these things so that way you can have the things that you want. And that is what happens. Let me prove that point to you. Have you ever been in traffic? And you're in this long line of traffic. And then all of a sudden, there's the sign. It's right there. Right lane is ending. Merge over. But then somebody just comes zooming along by you. And you're mad. Don't they see it? Get in line. I've got to wait here an extra 20 minutes in this big long line. Why do you get to pass? You're breaking the rules. And you're mad at them. But then there's, then there's two parts of this. You're mad at them because they're kind of doing this thing. But then you're kind of mad at yourself because secretly you want to be doing it too. Secretly, man, if I would have just passed, I could have slid in there. There was an 18-wheeler. He's slow. I could have just eased in. And there's a part of you because, like, that's that nature. It's like, man, I don't want to wait. And yet, sometimes things fade. And God, yet still, gives us these promises. He gives us the promises as individuals. But yeah, he gives us promises to us as his body as a whole. And so I want to read this, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. In Exodus chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, here we go. Therefore, I say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people. And I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am. And the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage, because I am the Lord. The, um, The Jewish people have a term for this portion of Scripture. They call this... The four I wills of God. The four I wills of God. Now, when we read it in our English language, uh, it actually reads like uh, six different I wills that are saying there. But in the Hebrew language, in the way it was written, it's written as four I wills. And they're, they're used this to, to reveal the promises of God to them. Now, what's uh, kind of amazing about this, that this word I will in the Hebrew actually can't be translated into English. There's no English translation for this word, I will, um, because in the Hebrew language, it's always connected to something. It's always connected to a verb. 
It's inseparable. It's connected to something that's describing uh, the, the sentence structure in which it's being used. And so whenever God's saying, I will bring you out, I will redeem you, I will rescue you, and I will take you, he's saying this. He's saying, everything that you know about me, See, I have just revealed my name to you. See, to these other ones, I haven't revealed these things. But see, Moses, just, just a few chapters before, he had this moment with God where he's standing beside this burning bush and the bush isn't being consumed. And God says, and Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, well, tell them, I am. I am has sent you. And so, wow, all of a sudden God is revealing himself to him and now there's this conversation which god again is having with moses and now he's saying because i am i will see you we can't disconnect these we can't disconnect who god is and what he does and he's basically saying because i am i will because i am i will bring you out because of my very nature and who I am as God, I will do these things. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. And I will take you. Why? Because I am. And because I am, I will. And God's saying, listen, there's hope. There's rescue. There's deliverance. There's freedom in me. In me. All of these things. And sometimes we wonder, well, God, what is... What is the plan that you have for my life? What, 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 what do you have for me? This is God's plan for your life. I will bring you out. God wants to bring you out. His very first plan for you is salvation. That, man, God wills that all men might be saved. Man, I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. And I will take you as my own. This is God's plan for your life to bring you out, to rescue you, to redeem you, and to take you as his own. It's, just, it, it, it's that simple. No matter what you have done, there is hope and there's redemption in him. Not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. And because he is, I am, he will. And so the Jewish community will look at this and they would, uh, they would read this scripture. And as they would read these scriptures, um, they would often do uh, and read the scripture during Passover. Uh, it would be a, a time of year where uh, the rabbi would get up and he would quote these, uh, what they would call the four I wills. And they would do it uh, often as we, as Christians, refer it to as communion. See, when we think of communion, we often think of uh, the moment in which Jesus sat down with his disciples and he broke the bread, and he took the wine. He said, my body broken, my blood shed. And this is kind of our, our concept of communion, but, but there's a lot more to it. See, this is actually happening on Passover, when Jesus is having this meal with his disciples, and he's, he's saying, listen, I long to celebrate this meal with you, this Passover meal with you. And, and he's talking about things that are getting ready to happen. See, my body broken, my blood shed, it hasn't happened yet. It's about to happen. He's about to face the cross. He's about to do all these things. And, and, and we, as a community, and all different types of denominations all around the world, we have different ways in which we celebrate and honor and respect communion. Communion, uh, the elements, the Eucharist, uh, the partaking 
of the body. And, and for some, uh, and later on in the service, we are going to partake of communion. And some take and dip the bread in it. And then some have different elements, and some do it separately, and then and some, some go to the priest. And, and there's all these different kind of traditions that we have when it comes to remembering uh, our Lord through communion. Um, but this morning, I want to talk a little about, about the Jewish tradition and, and, and how they would celebrate their Passover meal. And trust me, it's all going to connect by the end. So, once a year, in obedience to Leviticus 23, where God gives this commandment that, hey, this is a uh, statue that you will do every year at this time, uh, obeying the Passover meal, they would get together. Now, oftentimes, different rituals and things would take place inside a community like this, but for this Passover meal, uh, for the majority of the time, uh, it would take place inside the home. This would be the home where uh, uh, either the father of the house or the rabbi would come or, or different close members of the family, they would come and they would tar- partake in this thing called the sedar, S-E-D-A-R. And, and what that word translates means is order. In our English language, it means order. And so they would have this order at the home. And it would be in remembering the Passover meal. And for one of the primary purposes of this would, would be to teach the children, the stories of everything that's happened to their people growing up. So their, their great, 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 great grandfathers, I mean, everyone throughout their, their history and line the, uh, that were in the slavery, we want you to know what happened to them and, and all of the things that, how God brought us out of Egypt. So they would sit down at this table. And on this table would be uh, a plate. And, and obviously, this would be done different ways in different communities, but this would, this would be kind of like the standard within the Jewish community. There would be this plate, and there would be six different items on the plate. And sometimes there would be a separate plate for the bread, and it would be matzah bread, that didn't, bread without yeast, flat bread. And then there would be a cup for the wine. And during this sedar, during this order of service, uh, the father of the home, the rabbi, whoever it might be, begin to tell these stories to the children. And uh, first will be read out of Deuteronomy 4 and 9 where it says this, because they're doing all this in obedience to the scripture. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things of your, that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you shall live. Teach them to your children and to the children after them. And so this is part of their obedience to the scripture of, hey, we're going to pass down and know that our children and their children and their children's children understand this thing called Passover. And uh, on this plate, the, uh, the rabbi would, there would be different songs, there would be different parts where they would actually be washing up the hands, uh, there would be things that, uh, scripture readings, there would be blessings, uh, but kind of the highlight of this sedar would be the food, of course. And so they're there, and there's this food. And, and one of the food would be um, bitter herbs. And so the, uh, the rabbi would take the bitter herbs, and he would be telling the story of the Egyptians. He would say, listen, take and eat this bitter herb. And, and all the kids would take and eat. And just, and just, oh, man, it's so bitter. It's so bad. He said, and that's to remind you of the slavery that those before us faced, that, that we were slaves in Egypt. And so let that bitter herb remind you of that. And then there would be this paste called a cheroset. And it would be a mixture of 
um, fruit and nuts ground into what looked like a brown paste. And then they would take, and uh, the kids uh, would, would take, and they'd, ha- they'd have a bite of this, and, and they would tell, listen, and this, this is to remind you of the mortar. So they would, they would make bricks every day. This is all they did day after day, week after week. This is everything they did was just make bricks. And, and they would take this pace, and this was to remind you of those that went before us. They spent years and years just making bricks in slavery. And then there would be a piece of lamb that they would all eat. So this would be to remember of that night, that night when the Passover happened. And we took the blood of the lamb and we put it on our door. And that, when that death angel came by and saw the blood on the door, it passed us by. So they would take and they would eat this lamb. And then there would be some would use a, a hard-boiled egg, and others would use maybe a potato or some kind of hardened vegetable. And they would take that, uh, and then they would dip the egg into salt water. And then they would eat a bite of the egg or the potato or whatever it might be. And they said, now, now you eat this, and this is to remind you of the tears, of the tears of those that work day in and day out making those bricks. And say, and they're doing all this, remember, they're doing all this, that they would remember, that they would teach their children, that it would be a part of them, that they would know that all this happened. And, th- and then there would be this bread, and they would take and they'd eat the bread and say, the reason why we eat this bread is because, man, when God delivered us a- after that Passover, after, after he passed over the blood of the Lamb, that next day and we, we got up, we left Egypt in such haste that the bread didn't even have time to rise. Man, that we just got out of there. Just get out of there. And the kids are eating this meal. And they're remembering. And, and during the meal, and, and during the Sedar, this order of events that's happening to remember this Passover, to teach these children, there would be this cup of wine. And it would actually be drunk four different times. Drunk, drank, consumed. <laughs> four different times. <laughs> At the meal. And uh, there, there would be the first cup. And, and as dur- during, during this meal, as this scripture would be, be read. And at the first drinking, the rabbi would say this. And I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So this first I will, this first cup of I will, would be, the, would be called the cup of salvation. That God has given us this promise. And it's not just a promise for our grandfathers and, and those before them, but it's a promise for all of us. That because he is God, his will for us is to bring us out. That he would be our savior. And they would drink of this cup. And then later on, they would take that second cup. And the rabbi would read, and I will rescue you from their bondage and then they will drink that cup and then he then he will read and i will redeem you with an outstretched arm and they would take and they would remember and they're they're remembering their their time in egypt all the things that went through them and they're remembering their salvation their deliverance their redemption and then and then finally there's this one that they would read and it said 
I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give you. I am going to take you out. And, they would, and this, this would be the cup of acceptance that, man, you belong in the family. And all of these things would be happening. These cups would be drank. These, this food would be eaten. Why is any of this important to us today? Because whether or not we realize it, every one of us, without exception, is somewhere in this process. At some point of these four I wills, you will find your life. It's a moment where we look at that thing in the mall and we say, we are here. It's the moment where we look and we stop all of our excuses. It's no longer because I've had this kind of upbringing or my parents did this or the church did this or my pastor did this or the government did this or all of the excuses on why we are not where we want to be. But it's the moment where we stop and say, this is where I am. And God, these are the things that you've promised me. Because here, here's what happens. is Just like we forget and just like things fade away, we tend to get stuck at somewhere in the process. See, some of us, we got saved. And we thought that that was it. That's the end of the line. Man, I got saved. I, I learned about Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And I'm on my way to heaven. And that's it. For the last 20 years, for the last 50 years, that's where you've lived your life. Man, yeah, you're saved. You're going to heaven. You're on your way. Yeah, all that good stuff. But you're not free. See, you're, you're, you're that first I will. I will bring you out. And see, so, you, so you've left Egypt. But Le- Egypt hasn't left you. You find yourself in the desert. You find yourself wondering, and you've yet to be delivered. See, to be delivered is a process. Romans says it like, uh, the book of Romans says it like this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it's a process. See, you are saved, and yet you're being saved. You are brand new, transformed creation in Christ, and yet you are being transformed in Christ. It's this, it's this motion, it's this, this flow of life. Just because you got saved doesn't instantly make you a genius. See, you've spent a lifetime doing really stupid stuff. You've spent a lifetime living selfish. You've spent a lifetime doing all of these things and all of life being just about you. And now that you're saved, it doesn't mean that, oh, now I just want to just, no, no, no. It's time to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to deliver you. He just doesn't want to get you out of Egypt. He wants to get Egypt out of you. And this is a lifelong process. And there's no other way to do it than through discipleship, through being disciples, through, through reading your Bible, through prayer, through living this life day in and day out. You may be free, but the world still has its grip on your life. If you were to be real honest with yourself, man, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I love Jesus, but I still love the world. I still, I still have this tendency. I still want to do some of those things. I still want 
all of that evil that I know is evil. I just want to pass all these people in traffic. I'm not saying that's evil, but it is. If you're, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Just had to lighten it up in there for a minute. See, God may have revealed himself as I am to you, but now he longs to reveal himself as I will to you. See, I'm glad that he's your God. I'm glad that he is your Savior and you're on your way to heaven. But here's the thing. He will. He wants to work and move in your life if you'll let him. He wants to very much be a part of your life. Your day in, your day out. Your work, your play, your family, your relationships, everything about you. So maybe you're stuck and you just, man, I got stuck being saved. Or maybe you got stuck and and you really haven't been delivered yet. Or maybe you're stuck in this, the redemption process where God says, I will redeem you. So you've, you've gotten saved and and you're working out some of these things in your life. But, but now God says, that's not enough. I didn't just get you out of Egypt and I just didn't get Egypt out of you. Now I want to bring you into the promised land. There's a promise, there's a hope, there's something in your heart, there's something that I have you to do, and now you need to walk in it. See, it's not enough that just God tell you what he has for you, now you actually have to do it. And some of us have lived in fear of not stepping out and doing these things that God has called us to do, and we're stuck there. Man, I, I, I know where I am. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what you've called me to do. I, I, but God, I guess I'm not being obedient. And you're stuck. And God says, I want to be the God who redeems you. And here's what I've learned. Some of us get stuck in this process because we don't want to do some of the things that God has told us to do because we find ourselves ashamed from some of the things that we did in the past. And so our natural tendency as humans is to try to cover those things up. And when God says, all of the things that you're trying to cover up, I'm trying to bring to life. Because the very darkness and pain and all of that suffering that you went through, you went through it for a purpose. And that purpose is, even as as Joseph said, all of these things that his brothers did to him, I did it that God would be glorified for your salvation. All the things that you would help someone else. See, uh, see, man, I know you've been through the pain and the hurt and the heartache of divorce or, or of drug addictions or of sexual addictions or of all of these things, and, and you don't want anyone to know about it, but God's just saying that very thing. You're, you're, you're going to help someone else with that. I, I know you used to, you, and you don't want anyone to know about it, but that's part of your redemption. How do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And people need to hear your testimony. Come on, Christians, we ain't perfect. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows you're messed up. Everyone knows I'm messed up. And when we try to hide those things, it just deters from our testimony. Because, yeah, I used to do this, and I know exactly what you're going through, but let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. There's hope for you. So you've got to stop trying to cover that up. You've got to stop trying to put on that Christian hat that makes you look better than you are. We all need Jesus. We are all 
sinners. And God's saying, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. And I will redeem you. All of that pain and hurt, everything that you went through, Job, it's God that, that a whole nation would say, wow, look what God has done. That he would get the glory through it. Or maybe you're at the final stage. And you're at that fourth cup called fulfillment. Where you've been saved, you've been delivered, you're walking in that promise that God has for you. You're doing that thing that he's called you to do. But you're not giving it away. And this is the ultimate culmination of everything. This is where God says, listen, it's not just about you. It's not just that you would have this vision and this goal and these are the things that you would arrive at. It's that you would give everything that I've given you and you would give it away. And and I've said this before. Y'all have heard me talk about it before where uh, honestly sometimes, especially here in our culture, we become spiritual hoarders. All of these things, and and we're afraid because we want to, man, what if somebody takes my position or my spot? Oh, or man, these things are just, this is, this is me. And you're not fully living the life that God has called you to live until you give it away. It goes beyond us. It goes beyond just you enjoying your freedom, enjoying your redemption. It means you saying, man, you go further than I would. It means you training up your kids that your kids would surpass you. And not just your kids, but the people that we're around every day. And see, it's so complete opposite of kind of the world that we live in where we almost find our security in how talented we are on the job or how much knowledge we have or different things that kind of helps bring the sense of security that as long as I could do this better than the next guy, I will always have this. And yet that's the very thing that's destroying us. That selfishness, that greed. And ultimate fulfillment comes when you give it away. And when Jesus hung on the cross, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We're somewhere on this path. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Whether it's salvation, discipleship, transformation, walking in your calling or giving it away. There's this moment where this morning I just want us to, again, this is very, very individual, take a good look at our lives and say, God, I am here. Because there's these four I wills, these four promises of God that he's given to all of us. He wants to bring us out. He wants to deliver us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to fully fulfill everything that he has in us. And every one of us are in that process. And just as the Jewish community would sit down and they would partake in this Seder meal and they would remember everything that God did for them as a people enslaved in Egypt and how he brought them out. Now we sit down on this side of the cross. And and not just us, but our, our, our messianic brothers and sisters, our messianic Jews, 
that also believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and when we sit down and, and when we drink this cup and when we take of this bread, we remember, just like they remembered, that God, you brought me out. You brought me into salvation. I was once dead and dying in the sea of death and trespasses, and God, you made a way through the cross.